0: Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks, you guys. That was great. And from the other side of the stage, hope that didn't like, freak anybody out. All that change at one time. Hey, a couple of things before I get going. Uh, gener- the journey of generosity. Awesome, and one of the best things about it was sitting down with this big table of people from OB Joyful who attended and eating together with them a meal that Tim made. It's awesome. So it's like going to a four-star restaurant, and you don't pay. And then there's Bible study and incredible teaching encouragement all around it. So are we going to do another one of these next in the summer? Okay. So hopefully in the summer we'll see another. Keep it on the back of your mind because it's a really, really special deal and really encouraging uh, open some doors in your mind for some things that God might do with you. Also, tonight, young adults, our house, 6 o'clock, dinner, Bible study, bring your Bible. It's going to be fun. Basically, that means anybody who considers himself young, and don't bring your children. But young adults. It's, it's snowing. And I have, a, I have what I used to call a driveway. Now I call it a driftway. <laughs> it is full of snow all the time. And not only that, but it has become, it's come to the point where it's, it's like a ravine because the walls of it are literally this high. And my snowblower, like I shoot the snow and it goes, whoosh, <laughs> just <laughs> barely lands on top. So I've got like another big dump and then I don't know what I'm going to do. Somebody needs to fill me in on that. <laughs> but snow is this amazing blessing around here. We love it. It's beautiful. I mean, it's just ridiculously gorgeous and leads to lots of fun for us all. But as much as we love it, it also is something that we struggle with. We have to deal with it. I was just Renee was just saying that she was snowed in all day. They couldn't leave their house because of their lo- driveway so long. You know things that and just like uh, Jake prayed a moment ago, things like that. Make the snow difficult. So we wrestle with this thing that's so beautiful and fun and wonderful. And the topic that we're going to hit today is like that. It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. But it's difficult and we wrestle with it. And I'll tell you about it in just a moment. If you will, we're going to look at 1 Peter 1 1 and 2. I'm going to read it to you. We're reading this time. Today only, out of the NIV, it's just a smoother translation than the ESV, which we've been using. And we'll put the NIV up here. ESV is close enough, but there are just a couple things about it that I think make this a little bit smoother translation. So, if you will read with me, to God's elect, oh, first, first Peter one one and two, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So we just started this study last week of First Peter. We'll be there for nine weeks right through Easter and Peter is writing to this audience of people who have been exiled. They've been, they've had either forcibly by social situations or whatever, they've chosen to move to these, these uh, regions that are really in northern Turkey. So they've been moved up there. They are struggling. They're, and the way I addressed it last week was to say that as believers, we're, we're going to face exile. Around here, it's mostly going to be social exile. That's what we're going to feel here. They were feeling something more extreme than that. But what Peter says is in that space of exile where you're suffering and struggling, there is peace and grace in the fullest measure that God can give. So as an exile in Christ, there is peace and grace at the fullest measure that Christ can give. And that's encouragement from Peter in this time of struggle. Now, Peter, as most of you know, is in a place, he's in Rome, and he knows that even more suffering is coming because Nero is about to be uh, the emperor, and he's going to do terrible things to believers by law. So things are going to move from social to governmental and legal oppression on, on, on these people, and Peter wants to encourage them. And so he writes them, when he addresses them, he, he says, you're exiles, but he calls them, he, he defines that word exile, he says, you're elect Exiles. So there's two words. He says, I'm Peter, an apostle. You are elect exiles. And last week, like I said, we focused on the exile part. This week, we're going to look at the elect part. And this is that thing that's like the snow that we have here. This beautiful thing, this unbelievable thing. But it's something that we struggle with. And Peter uses two words for it. He says, he, he, calls, it, he calls them elect, and he calls them chosen. And we need, to fa- we need to deal with this. We need to face it head on and talk about it. But the thing that he's doing is he's providing them with the most foundational, most encouraging thing he can possibly say to them, because he wants them to have an anchor in the turbulent waters that are coming. He acknowledges the fact that they're exiles, but he says, you're elect. They need to know that. And that's the main point that I want to get across to all of us today. And I personally need to hear it. You and I, like those exiles at that time, are chosen. That is the main point of what I want to say. You and I are chosen. And he divides that up. Peter divides it up into three pieces of being chosen He says that, and these are the three points I want you to to hear today. One is what, what God the Father does. He's the one who does the choosing. That's the first point. God chooses. The second one is the work that the Spirit does, and that's to sanctify. And the third is the work that Jesus does. And we sang about it quite a bit right here, and that was to give his life, to give his blood for us. Let me, let me say those one more time. It's all about this message and what Peter's saying. is all about the fact that we are elect, that these believers are elect or chosen. And you've got the Trinity represented here in this, just these two little verses. The Father chooses, the Spirit sanctifies, and third, the work of Jesus is to give his life for us. And at the very end of this message is a special little bonus. Because it tell, this also tells us why he chose us. Not just the how and the process, but the why. So this is like when you're a kid in the awesome cereal box with all the stuff, and there's a toy in the bottom. That's what this is. I'm serious. Let me read it one more time now that you have those points. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles, scattered throughout the provinces who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. So let's look at this role of the Father in choosing. You have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. We need to talk about that foreknowledge idea just for a moment. When you say, when you talk about the God of the universe and you talk about foreknowledge, you have to say, well, what what does that mean? Because God is outside of time. So how how does he have foreknowledge of something that for him is static? It's all happening at one time. Because remember, God is omnipresent and omnipotent and omniscient. You remember in Psalm 90, you've heard this, this verse somewhere. It says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before you, before, ever, before you ever made the mountains or the earth, you were God. From everlasting to everlasting, in other words, going back and going forward, you are God. Time, you are outside of time. And This is that same passage that says, to you a thousand years as, is a, as if it were a day or as a watch in the night as 4 hours. So God is outside of time. So why does Peter say that he is he foreknows has foreknowledge of us being elect or chooses us in his foreknowledge. I think he says it for our understanding because time is a construct for human beings. It's the way he set things up to work for us. And so his foreknowledge is his knowledge. And to us, it may seem like foreknowledge. He, is, he has chosen us outside of time. But before we arrived on the scene, we were known and foreknown to be chosen. So that's just a little word on his foreknowledge. But when we, heard, when we hear the word election or choosing, if you're like me, you say, well, wait, wait a second. I thought that humans had free will. So that just naturally comes to us because that's how what we've been taught from the scripture. That's what we've learned in our country. Humans have free will. I had a choice whether or not to become a follower of Jesus Christ, and so did you. Right? You could reject him, or you could accept. And to say that is right. I have a choice. You have a choice. The only work that's required on our part is to believe. And John 3:16 is a, just a simple verse that most of us know that shows us that we have a choice. It says, "God so loved the world that He gave his only Son, that whoever believes, in other words, decides to believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life." So to say that we have a choice makes sense. It's in the scripture. It's right there in one of the verses that we all know. But at the same time, Peter's saying that you're chosen. So we wrestle with that. So what I did was I thought, well, can, how does my choosing fit in with God's, with God's choice? And so I started to ask questions just around this verse. So I said, well, okay, did, in God's foreknowledge, did I help him choose me? Did I choose to sanctify myself with the help of the Holy Spirit? Did I choose to naturally obey Jesus? Did I have the ability to cause Jesus to pour out his life for me? All of those things are things that would have to happen if I was in control of the choice, according to this passage. And I don't think I have that kind of leverage with God. Well, you know, then I, then I might say, well, I'm not discounting God's work, but don't I have the right to choose? Where is my free will in this? J.I. Packer is a pretty amazing theologian. And, and the way he addresses this is he says that we have a natural and innate understanding of God's role in choosing us. Let me read what he says. You would never dream of dividing the credit of your salvation between God and yourself. You have never for one moment supposed that the decisive contribution to your salvation was yours and not God's. You follow the logic there? No one who knows the scripture and knows the God of the Scripture, would say something like this, Lord, it's good that I helped you to choose me. I have done what it takes for you to confirm my decision. If you know the Scripture, you won't pray that, but you might say, God, thank you for saving me. So Packer's process is to say, yes, we choose, but we need to understand the place of our choosing. Because innately, we understand that it's not us that forces God's hand. And the doctrine of election is what you might call It's confirmed in Scripture in a lot of places. Election is this. In Scripture, it is assumed, not defended. So if you look for this idea of election, of the choosing of God, it never says You really need to believe this because, and here's the reasons it just says election, choosing. It's just there, it's not defended. Let me read you a couple of passages because it's important for us to see this in other places. I'm just going to take you to three New Testament passages Acts 13 47 to 48. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. He's speaking to the Jews. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed, eternal life believed. For we know, brothers, loved by God. Excuse me. This is 1 Thessalonians 1.4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And then in John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the father gives me will come to me and whomever comes to me, I will never cast out. So I wanted to show you this doctrine of election of God's choosing is in the scripture. It's like snow, it's there. In the Hebrew scripture, also, I didn't read any of those, but is full of his cho- choice. Chosen people, have you ever heard that phrase before? We never argued with that. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so forth. Chosen, chosen, chosen. We understand the idea of chosen. Nevertheless, we wrestle with it. So, here's a reconciliation for you. We want these two seemingly incongruent lines of God's choice and our free will to line up and to match and to work together perfectly, right? We want to be able to explain that to ourselves, not to mention everybody else. It's difficult. And here's how Packard deals with it. Or here's, the, here's how he suggests the problem stands, Here is the reason we struggle with God's sovereignty in bringing man to faith. The intruding or rationalistic speculations, the passion for systematic consistency, a reluctance to recognize the existence of mystery and to let God be wiser than men, and a consequent subjecting of scripture to the supposed demands of human logic. what we're trying to do in answering the question is to force our logic on how God does things. And let me tell you, brilliant, brilliant believers throughout history have struggled with this thing. Brilliant. And you can read and read and read and study and take different positions. But in all of those cases... Human beings are trying to subject the Scripture to the supposed demands of human logic. So we have the fact of the doctrine of election. We understand it intrinsically, and we see it in the Scripture. A superficial reading of Scripture shows it to us. And I'm going to steal from Packer again because I think he said this the best way. So I apologize for reading it to you, but... This is the solution. That our right to choose, our free will, sits right next to God's choice of us. And those things are in harmony. And we can't explain them by scientific method. That both of these things that seem to us to be incongruent and not able to exist together are both true. We choose and God chooses. They, that's us, are not content to let the two truths live side by side as they do in the scripture. But jump to the conclusion that in order to uphold the biblical truth of human responsibility, they are bound to reject, we are bound to reject the equally biblical and equally true doctrine of divine sovereignty and explain, the, explain away the great number of texts that teach it. The desire to oversimplify the Bible by cutting out the mysteries is natural to our minds, our perverse minds. It is not surprising that even good men should fall victim to it. So, I'm not telling you that this is an easy issue or that you should just not worry about it or be concerned about it. And it doesn't impact you. It does. It's huge. But, I am saying that in some sense, in a a great sense, this is a mystery. And these two things can coincide. And they are both fully true. I had a friend, he went to Europe, and he was traveling through some castles. Some of you have probably done that. And one of the things that struck him in one particular place was going into the great hall of this castle. And they had huge, huge uh, tapestries on the walls, and if you haven't seen them in life, real life, you've seen them in, in pictures. And they were beautiful. They were ornate. They had told stories. They were unbelievable colors. They were ancient. And you would just walk down through this huge gray room and look at these amazing stories being told through these woven tapestries. And then, at one point, either by part of the tour or by him just wandering around, he went behind this tap- set of tapestries, and he's looking back. If you've ever seen the back of a tapestry, it doesn't look like the front. It is a jumbled mess. You cannot tell what is on the front. There is no order. You, sometimes you can't tell what the colors are going to be. There's certainly no story. It's just a mess of stuff on the back. But when you step around to the other side, you see the full story in color. Now, just because my friend couldn't see the other side... Didn't mean the other side wasn't there. It is exactly the same thing, except in a spiritual way. We may not and cannot, and Augustine, the greatest minds, have tried to understand. But we will not understand how man's choice and God's choice stand together until we see it from the other side, and then we will know. Because it is in Scripture, and we cannot argue with that, So God chooses, I'm going to be a little briefer on these next two points that I want you to see. God chooses. It is foundational to our identity to know that we are chosen. You are chosen and I am chosen. But second, we're sanctified by the Spirit. In verse 2, he says, You who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Sanctification means to set apart. Our traditional understanding, if you spent much time with the word, that big word, sanctification, is that it's a process that happens to you over time. Right? We become more and more sanctified. In other words, we become more like Christ as we walk with him through life. That's part of the reason for the scripture to teach us, to move us forward. But in this case, this, sanct- this use of the word sanctification is a little bit more immediate. It's a, it's a, a time where we are sanctified and moved from the kingdom of God. Darkness to the kingdom of light. We're moved from being outside a relationship with Christ into one. So it's being set apart. Another way to look at that in the scripture is with the word adoption. And I want to read you a passage about that that ties us together. This is from Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. We put that up there? Yeah, perfect. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless in him in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through jesus christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise and glory to the praise of his glorious grace it is important to know in difficult times that The anchor that we have is that we are adopted into the family of Jesus Christ. That no matter what comes our way, we have that anchor holding us steady in the most turbulent times that we can face. That is what is important about the fact that God chooses us and the fact that we are sanctified, in other words, moved into his family. I have an adopted sister. We adopted her when she was a baby. She is in my family. She has my last name. She is in my family and always will be. She has that anchor no matter what happens in her life. We have that anchor. Remember, Peter's speaking to these people that are struggling, and they're going to struggle more, and he wants them to know they are chosen. And choosing that choosing by God implies the work of the Spirit to move them into his family. And then Jesus' work in this process of election, and that was to give his life as a ransom for us, to pour out his blood for us. Remember, at the end of the passage, it says, uh, chosen to be obedient to Jesus and, at the end, and for sprinkling with his blood. Well, what does that mean? I mean, if you're, if you're reading that to a friend who's not a believer and you said, yeah, and you'll be sprinkled with the blood of Christ. That's kind of awkward, isn't it? We're used to hearing that kind of talk because we're in church right now. But what this comes from is the idea that when God was teaching the Israelites in their Exodus, and this is actually in, I think, Exodus 24, one of the things that he tells Moses to do when he's setting up the temple system, is he says, sin is so significant that life has to be given in order for people to be in a right relationship with me. And that life that's given is in the form of an animal, an unblemished animal. It might be a a bird, it might be a a lamb, it could be a a cow, but these were valuable items, and they were supposed to be unblemished. And God God said, Moses, you tell the people that when they sin and when the relationship with me is broken, that they bring the sacrifice. And what the priests will do is they'll make the sacrifice. They'll offer it in the way that I tell it. And then one of the things they'll do is they'll sprinkle some of that blood either on the altar. And, but in one case, in the late part of Exodus, he says, I want you to sprinkle this blood on the people. And it sounds kind of gross, but to them, it wasn't. It was normal life to them. But to us... What it means and what Peter is bringing up right here is that since atonement must be made for sin with life, that Jesus does that for us. And the sprinkling with his blood is just saying that his part in this choosing is to make it possible by paying for our sin with his life. And in that sense, we are sprinkled with his blood if we believe. So atonement is made by by Jesus for our sin. So you and I have been chosen. God is the one who does the choosing. We also have a part in choosing. We are sanctified or adopted by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus died for us to be in his family. And I told you at the beginning that at the end I wanted to tell you why. And that's also in verse 2. It says. The reason that I chose you is to be obedient to Jesus Christ. It's the second to the last line there. I chose you to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Now, when I hear the word obedience, I cannot help but think of my dad telling me to take out the trash. That's what I think of when I think of obedience. Something I'm being made to do. Something I have to do. Some change I have to make that I don't have time for, don't want to do. I've got to do what has been said. And I suspect that for most of you, that's what the word obedience means, or worse. But this is not forced obedience. Because of what God has done to bring us into his family, to adopt us, to choose us, then we willingly move into a relationship with Jesus Christ where we are absolutely under him. Where we, and the way I would say it is that we live. For him. So, obedience in this text, I think, is to say, I chose you to live for Christ. Not to be under Jesus and under his commands and do this and this. There are times where it is hard to follow Christ and we have to decide to obey. Absolutely. But those things only follow because we are in his family and loved by him. So, it is that obedience is to get to live for Christ. We get to live for Christ. We don't have to obey. We get to live for Christ. So some of you probably picked up on this, but this is what is amazing. You know, so we've spent, now we're going to have spent like an hour and 20 minutes on two verses. But because of what Peter says, he informs us that our relationship with God is absolutely unassailable. It is absolutely unassailable because it was by whose choosing? God's choosing. He chose first. He adopted us, not by just by his power. This is the whole Trinity. He got the whole trinity is involved. In this process, Peter wants to assure and confirm this in us. God chooses, the Spirit adopts us. You cannot get any more, tight, more tightly grafted into the family of God. You cannot have a more tight anchor into that place. But over all of those things, you know, Jesus sacrificed so that his whole entire life, So, and he would have done it in the scripture, it says, for you if you were the only person to bring you into that relationship. And somehow in that, he still gives us a choice. You and I were slaves to this world. But we were chosen by God. And we chose him. And the one who chose us died to make us his. He adopted us into his family. And it's our joy in the perfect fulfillment of who we are to live for him. So I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask that we would really understand, that God would help us to truly understand this, this concept, but the fact that he has adopted us by the blood of Christ into his family. And that is the anchor that we need. We are all chosen. Let me pray. God, I, I come to you with uh, family and friends here, Lord, and I just acknowledge with all of them, we, we really, we cry out to you and say, Lord, we love the fact that you've chosen us, but we don't understand how it works, we don't understand the negative side that we see of that. But God, we need to know that it is a reality and you've presented it and not even defended it in your scripture. It is who you are and is, is how, you have, how you have chosen to make this work, this salvation work. So God, I pray that no matter what we're facing in life, that we will have the comfort of knowing that you have chosen us and you have sealed us into that relationship. And God, we thank you for letting us have a part in it. And somehow, God, though we don't see it, we know that these two things stand side by side. We look forward to showing, you showing us that, how that works. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: created the heavens, Lord, it was your hands that put the stars in their place.
0: out in the great grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have a great day.